The Marion Finucane Show on RTE Radio 1 with Unpost. Visiting the post office can mean great value post breaks, hotel deals. Unpost. Do more. Now, just before the news, we were talking to Dr. Joe McKeever about last weekend in Blanchardstown A&D and the aftermath of the Phoenix Park concerts. Now we want to take a look at the wider issues. After all of those reports that very young teenagers were throwing back spirits and bottles of wine, there were allegations of widespread drug taking. We know about the violence. But we wanted to see whether the problems of Ireland's drink culture in particular are worsening. We're joined from our Cork studio by Brian O'Connell, author of Wasted, A Sober Journey Through Drunken Ireland, and Donald Kiernan, psychotherapist, counsellor and retired Garda. And you're both very welcome. Brian, I'm going to start with you. You don't drink alcohol anymore. Remind us what happened before you decided to quit. Um, morning, Claire. I suppose my story, Claire, would have been considered pretty normal in, a, in an Irish context up to a certain point. I mean, I began drinking at about the age of 14 or 15, but I guess from my mid-20s onwards, it became more and more apparent to those around me that I had a problem and that a pattern of drinking had pretty much established itself that was creating difficulties in my life. So really at that point, my, my family intervened and at the age of 28, I, I went for treatment in a rehab centre where I suppose really, Claire, for the first time, I began to look at my life and reassess my relationship but alcohol and really question it. I mean, like a lot of Irish people, I'd often woken up and had that never again moment, you know, but I'd never really fundamentally questioned my relationship with alcohol. And I think partly that's because we do attach such an extreme definition in Ireland to what an alcoholic is. And, you know, I still don't really use that phrase a whole lot. I tend to use problem drinking. And there was very little societal pressure on me to engage responsibly with alcohol from my peer group. And I often think if I'd grown up in, say, Boston, Massachusetts or somewhere like that, I would have been taken aside a lot sooner and told, you know, maybe you need to knock it on the head. As it was, the only advice I can remember being given at the time was from a former friend. And he had told me that if I went for alcohol treatment, it would end up as a mark on my medical records and it would hold me back in life. So from my experience, Claire, there is so little stigma attached to abusing alcohol in Ireland. And to be honest, I found out that there's a hell of a lot more stigma attached to trying to get sober. And that would be my experience. I was 28 when I stopped drinking. I still go to pubs. I still wanted to socialise very regularly. Um, but it can be a very alienating place to be, you know. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about that. I mean, is it hard to be a, a man of, of your age and be a non-drinker? Um, I've sort of made my peace with it. And I tend to find sometimes that it's other people that get a little bit uncomfortable around you. You know, they might realise after a couple of drinks, God, you're not drinking. Does this mean you're going to remember everything? <laughs> and uh, that can put people a little bit uneasy sometimes. You know, I, I maintain a healthy sense of humour about about alcohol. Uh, there's just probably alcohol in my fridge at home now. Um, I, when I got married last August, there was, there was plenty of alcohol available to people. You know, I, I don't really, I, I'm lucky, I suppose, I can go to a pub and enjoy myself. And, you know, I've seven years, I, I haven't drank now. So I, I, I think I've kind of made my peace with it. But, you know, I don't get too complacent about it either. And, and you spend time, or you have done over the last yeah. two years, talking to teenagers and parents and you go into schools and, and, and have a chat with them about their relationship with alcohol and how they view it. What strikes you from those conversations? I mean, is there a common theme that emerges from those conversations that you've had? I think the one thing that I get from teenagers a lot and, and in, in my book I went and spent quite a bit of time with, with teenagers in a, in, a, in a school in the West was how hypocritical they feel adult society is in their, in their relationship with alcohol and the way they talk to teenagers around alcohol. And I have a lot of sympathy for, for Irish teenagers. You know, they feel that adults are the ones wagging the finger and pointing the, fing, pointing the, the blame at teenagers in Ireland and saying, you guys are the problem. But obviously it's learned behaviour. Uh, and if we were to look at the way alcohol is engaged with in, in, in family homes around the country, 
um, I think the thing that strikes me is how little dialogue takes place both in schools and within the home around the issue of alcohol. I came out of secondary school 18 years ago and I can't remember a whole lot of dialogue back then but there's really no excuse now. We've had 20 years of reports really painting a very detailed picture of our relationship with alcohol and I think teachers are afraid to bring up the issue and discuss it in a very real and honest and open way. Uh, I think parents are very afraid to do it as well because it'll shine uh, a focus on their own drinking patterns and throughout that vacuum that's created I think kids just soak up the lax societal attitudes we have towards alcohol uh, and it can be very very difficult I mean you know to be a teenager in Ireland now and to try and develop a, a responsible relationship with alcohol nobody is saying don't ever drink or you know people are just saying you need to develop a relationship that's responsible and mature uh, and won't create difficulties for you Well Donald Kieran is nodding here in studio uh, before Donald we get your reaction to what Brian had to say I want to ha- have a listen to Brian part of Brian Brian's conversation with teenagers on the streets of Cork. Brian, you spoke to these young people about their own views on alcohol. I started when I was 12. And what did you start with? Druids. It's a can lake. It's a cider. I started off with one, then I went to four, and then I went to Megan's. Nagin's vodka, one Nagin was my first time drinking, and I was flute. You can mix Nagin's, so that's why people do it, like so they can walk around wherever they want without going to class. Nagin's as in vodka now. But Burn my dad telling me he stopped drinking, and my dad's in the pub like every f***ing night of the week. Telling me he stopped drinking. They should be the ones stop drinking. My family, like, you saw, was telling me stories that, like, when they were younger, they used to go out the fields, going fishing, whatever, smoking weed, doing whatever, drinking. Like, why can't we do that? It's the same as us, like, it's a couple of years of a difference. We should be allowed to do the same thing as you are. That's it, uh, Donald, isn't it? He, that young man has really hit the nail on the head. We all sit there going... Isn't it terrible? The drinking spirits. We all do it. You know, you have every celebration in Ireland is all about drinking. Well, I suppose in a way, Claire, we have to acknowledge that the role of alcohol in Irish society is now deified and sanctified. It is the, it is promoted. It is adored. It is put up there as you cannot have a function now without alcohol. You know, and listening to Brian there and listening to that young man there. He's looking at his dad, he's looking at his parents, you know, another youngster looking at his parents. And I work with young people and one of the things they talk about is parental drinking and their own parents, and the feeling that they don't belong, that they don't have a voice. And the difficulty, like, and one of the statistics I was looking at recently is that somewhere between 60,000 and 100,000 children are directly affected by their parental drinking in their own home in this country at the present time. And I suppose, like Brian, I don't drink anymore. And I kind of, I would go to the pub, I would socialise with people. I've learned to, to accept that I don't drink. When did, when did you stop drinking? I stopped drinking in 1982. I had to stop drinking because it was either it or me. You know, and like him, I went into a treatment centre, just signed myself in because I wanted to learn how to drink properly. You know, and I remember being there five weeks before it dawned on me, you know, you, the way you drink properly is for you not to drink, you know, because alcohol has played a big role in my life, all, all my life, and growing up on that, it had an important role in it. Because mm-hmm. you, I mean, you, I said you have a varied life, you were a guard and, and yeah. you, you do all of this counselling now, mm. but you were heading for trouble when you were 14, 15, weren't you? Well, I was living, I lived rough on the streets in London at 14 years of age, 14, 15 years of age. I would have been a hardened drinker at 14, 15 years of age because I suppose I liked what drink did for me. It kind of made me feel cool, it made me feel grown up, it made me, I suppose at times it numbed out what was really going on. And I, that was the attraction of it and, and the progression of it. And, you know, I ended up in a street gang and that again gave me kind of kudos and status and, you know, violence was something that I kind of liked at the time because there was a buzz off it, you know, and you kind of felt you're adult and grown up. And 
it was in a way it was the only place you got affirmation and validation at the time you know and I think for a lot of young people that what they're searching for today is validation affirmation but yet they're being bombarded with this culture of alcohol mm-hmm. and one do you get aff- affirmation though and validation if you're a drinker just like everybody else I think you can create the illusion within yourself of validation and affirmation and that you you were it like you know and I kind of remember standing in pubs at 15 feeling very proud that I could drink grown men under the table and I thought that was the way to be but you know, I, I always say I'm one of the blessed ones, Claire, because uh, I had the experience of being that side of the fence and coming from that side of the fence and ending up actually being in a position to help people and to, you know, to join the Garda Shia probably one of the best decisions that I... I'm not too sure I made it. I'm not too sure how it happened, but I ended it up happened. and it, it <laughs> happened. You know, and I remember saying I'll join for a year and 30 years later I retired. And I'd have to say it was a great... And in fairness, in my experience in all those years and all those situations, the majority, the absolute majority of young people are very good people. They're very good young people. They're full of intelligence, they're full of energy, and they want to contribute and they want to have a voice at some level. And, and in a way, we're caught up in society, I think, in Ireland, in a culture of blame. And I try and stay away from that now because I believe we have to be solution focused. Mm-hmm. I mean, what did you think, though, of what happened last weekend? Because today in the Irish Times, Paul Cullen has done a piece where he's gone through the narrative of all of the stories that we've heard. And even now, it's still quite shocking, you know, to hear about children being pushed off their bikes in the Phoenix Park, people being afraid to emerge from the zoo. I mean, we've all heard the stories of what happened. Were you shocked in any way? No. I wasn't shocked, uh, and that says more about me than anything else, like, in a way, like, you know. I think what happened in the Phoenix Park is, I suppose, symptomatic of what is going on in society. And I, I kind of, thinking about and reflecting on it, I think we've had a culture of violence in this country for a long time, and we've become kind of desensitised to it, and we've become, because of the six counties and what's gone on up there, and because of the lack of accountability and the lack of maturity, in a way, in this society and resilience, that we've kind of were sliding and I think that alcohol plays a big role in that because alcohol actually numbs your senses you know it's a thing that amazes me about alcohol is it's a depressing drug it's actually a depressing drug you know and when we take it that's what happens we become depressed Mm -hmm. what about as, as a retired guard looking at what happened last weekend should the guards have been tougher on what they saw Happening in and around the park? I, I, I Personally, looking at it, I, I think that what the guard, the guard of Siakana that were there, a lot of them are young guards, young people themselves. I, think, I actually think, when you think of the number of people that attended the Phoenix Park and that event, in context of what happened, it's a small proportion of the, the, the three or four, the two or three days, whatever it was that was there. I think that in a way that probably in some senses... It is, if you look at the root cause of the number of people that perhaps drink before they go out, young people that sit at home and drink before they go out. So they're going out with drink taken. They're going out with drink probably in soft drinks or buying soft drinks in pubs and pouring vodka or hard spirits into it. But their capacity to drink is limited. Um, and fortunately for them it's limited. But one or two drinks and they've gone over, the, they've gone into that place of, I suppose, stupidity is the best way I can describe it. And I often wonder if you sat and talked to them the morning afterwards and said, well, look, this is a video of you last night. You know, what the response would be. Mm-hmm. You know, that part of it, we don't oh. debate oh. that with them. OK, I want to bring uh, Brian back in at this mm. point. Brian, we were talking to Dr Joe McKeever from mm-hmm. Blanchardstown Hospital before the, the news, and he made reference to the availability of alcohol and the price structure and so on. Is that a problem? Because in other parts of the world... 
alcohol is freely available at low prices too and they don't seem to have the problems that we have. Um, well, I suppose the first thing we need to acknowledge is that we have a very specific cultural relationship with alcohol in this country. It's very similar to the same relationship in the UK. And that is different when you when you look at other parts of Europe. For example, France, Spain, Greece and Portugal, um, invariably when alcohol is served, they will have food present. Now, that's not to say that there isn't a problem with young binge drinking in countries like Spain, who would like to think they've got a very mature relationship with alcohol. There is a problem there. But often when you see young people in Spain at 15 or 16 binge drinking, even then they'll have a sandwich with them. So food and alcohol are, are linked and it's a multi-generational drinking culture there where your grandmother could be in the bar at 2 or 3 a.m. as opposed to your 18-year-old niece or nephew, you know, so everybody's involved. Um, in Ireland, we don't have that type of drinking culture and uh, I think we need to acknowledge that first. Price obviously is an issue and I know government are looking to bring forward legislation in the next few weeks, but I mean, you know, if, if you were to ask me, Claire, you know, what, what can we do to change it? I, I think there will be a tipping point and I think it might be unfortunate that it will take the kind of chaos and carnage we saw last weekend to create that tipping point. Obviously, with the drink driving, it took for random breath test breath testing to significantly impact on the number of road deaths each year with the plastic bag tax levy. That, I think, changed societal attitudes. And the one thing that I would love to see uh, happen in Ireland is that we stigmatise binge drinking. And currently we don't. We actually celebrate it. Uh, And I think that's something that that should take place. I think President Higgins could take a very strong role in that. He seems to have reached reached out to a younger generation and has got a real connection with them. And and, and I think that's something that that could happen in the next year ahead. Uh, Donald, how do you stigmatise binge drinking do you think? I, I think we f- first and foremost we, we look at, at the consequence of my behaviour if I go out and drink and I know I'm in trouble after drinking and maybe two or three times that happens to me, I have, I would argue we have, you have no defence if you hurt or harm somebody else because you have alcohol in them whether it's in domestic violence that glorified sanctified name domestic violence which is in real terms an assault I think we need to look at, and I would argue that we have made a mistake in allowing alcohol into supermarkets. I believe if you were selling alcohol in a supermarket, it should be a separate building, a separate entrance away from food, because the drinks industry, very subtly, are marketing to young people and children that way. I agree with Brian. We have an immature culture and relationship with alcohol. I believe that the consequences of my behaviour are mine, not somebody else's. If I act in such a way then I have to accept the consequences and that drink is no defence. I think drinking at home, though, and correct me if, if, you, if you think I'm wrong, is a very new phenomenon in Ireland. I mean, it, I don't remember it being part of our culture to have wine in the house or, you know, beer yeah. in the house. It was a Christmas time thing. Yeah, Whereas it, now, it's, Brian, you, you throw it in with the rest of your shopping because it's there almost. Yeah, we sought to import a continental drinking culture, Claire, without really having a history or, or a background in that type of drinking. And and it's it's, it's become, uh, it just hasn't worked out that way, you know. Um, like, if, if, if there was another thing that I think should happen in Ireland on, on a micro level is that in families, most families in Ireland will tell you that there's a, a, an uncle or a grandparent or, or a cousin who has an issue with alcohol. But how often is that open discussed at the kitchen table and I think on a micro level that families need to start having those types of discussions I mean my son is 12 I'm very conscious of the fact that I can you know be very open with him around the issue of alcohol but he's entering into a society which is incredibly tolerant of dysfunctional drinking Um, so I'm very conscious that I need to have certain conversations and I think those conversations need to happen on a micro level again I think uh, 
in stigmatising binge drinking, you know, New Zealand and Australia have very particular problems with binge drinking as well. And what they've done there is they've launched national campaigns where sports figures, uh, uh, people from the music industry will very, very, very publicly come out and say, you know, these are my views on binge drinking. I mean, when's the last time in Ireland you had heard a leading sports star at the top of their game come out and do something like that or somebody from the music industry? That brings in the whole issue, obviously, of sponsorship. You know, something that we need to look at, I think. Um, sports stars, some of them are brand ambassadors for Diageo, puts them in a very difficult position to come out and take a strong position on underage drinking or on dysfunctional binge drinking in Ireland. Um, and I hope that's something that Roisin Shortall will look at in the next few weeks. Mm-hmm. Donald, what advice would you have for parents? I mean, I was talking to the parent of a 14-year-old girl during the week and she's absolutely terrified because you hear all of these stories about... Yeah binge drinking and so on and what's ahead for them. Uh, Brian spoke about speaking to his son very openly at the age of 12. What's your advice? Well, the part of this I I, I think is very important, Claire, is that we need to change the focus of this dialogue and we're beginning a dialogue around alcohol in Ireland and we need to start being solution-focused and positive about it. I believe that if we go to the negative and the demonising all the time, people become afraid to talk. In our family, there's a history of alcohol abuse. I talk to my children about that. Hopefully they'll talk to their children. I talk openly about the, the consequences of, of my drinking on me and the effect it had on other people. I'm not ashamed to say that to anybody. I'm very involved with the Irish Association of Alcohol and Addiction Counselors and they have consistently come out and said there's a rising problem. But the dialogue that needs to take place is how do we mature and manage this, this thing now? Because we talk about price kind of controls. That's one piece of it. But I would actually be proposing that perhaps we need to look at, do we raise the drinking age to 21? And do that for five years, perhaps. Do we need to put this topic, the but topic... 14 and 15-year-olds are, are, are drinking, don't they? I know, but you see, it, it's far too easy for 14 and 15-year-olds to access the cupboard at home. And I think if, you know, for people at home with alcohol at home, make damn sure it's not there. And another medication, because that's where a lot of this does actually, where we pill for drink from home and we kind of takes them out of the bottle, fill it with water and hope nobody notices until the guests come and say that's very weak. <laughs> you know, that part of it. But like that we, that we begin accountability and practice that the parents actually have that conversation and say to their children, it, and their young people of 17, 18, 19 going out, it's not okay to be binging here before you go out there. You know, it's not okay to be putting yourself at risk. Like in the last four years, I think there's 670 something alcohol poisoning cases in Ireland, death by alcohol poisoning. I was reading yesterday where England is dealing with 4,500. Mm-hmm. They're talking about saving 4,000 because of alcohol related illness. You know? Well, Brian, you mentioned uh, trying to import mm-hmm. this continental drinking culture, and I know that you spoke as well in the last week to some German women who had a view on drinking in Ireland, and we can take a listen to that now. If you go out, it ends at 2 o'clock. You have to leave the pub or the club or something like that. We're not used to it in Germany. We can stay till 6 or 7 a.m. in the morning. If you say an Irish people has an alcohol problem, they all would say, no, he's just Irish. No, <laughs> That's the reason for it. Yeah. And what age did all of you start drinking at? Well, in Germany, you're allowed to drink wine Soft and beer. It's like 16. 16. Yeah. And... It's also a problem in Germany. Really, really young teenagers, yeah. 12, 13, start drinking yeah. and they just drink so much that they, that they get to hospital. So I wouldn't say that Ireland is the only country in the Europe that yeah. has these problems. So there you go, Brian. They, 
those women telling you that it's a problem mm. in Germany too. Yeah, and if we look at the latest SPAD, which is a European-wide survey of 15 to 16-year-old school kids, uh, and if we look at what the results were in relation to Ireland, they showed, interestingly enough, Claire, that in the last 30 days, Irish teenagers didn't drink as frequently as many of their European counterparts. But when they did drink, they drank about just over a litre of alcohol more. So you can see that there are differences, cultural differences across Europe. I mean, those girls had told me, I was chatting to them after that, the first time they went and drank, they went to a pub and had one drink. And uh, that was like that while they were 16, maybe when they were 17, that progressed to two. They said they never drank midweek. They couldn't ever remember getting drunk midweek. Um, and if you look at adult Irish society, if you compare it to places like France and Portugal, we have a very, very low daily drinking rate, but a very, very high binge drinking rate, which is probably the exact opposite of other parts of Europe. It's why I think actually it's made it really difficult to bring in European-wide policies in relation to sponsorship and marketing and you know uh, advertising of alcohol right across Europe, because there's just such cultural differences in how we engage with alcohol. Mm-hmm. Donald, what do you make of that? Uh, Brian's characterising our problems with alcohol as being a, a binge drinking related problem. I, I think it is because I think the majority of Irish people who drink uh, and I suppose when I look at it, who go to the pubs and drink are fairly steady sensible drinkers and, and my argument would be that we put alcohol back in the pubs in a way and say keep it out of the mainstream life and just say right it's there if you want to go there that part of it and we do binge drink and it's interesting I worked in a project on behalf of the ICGP and the South Western Area Health Board and what we did was in a doctor's surgery we screened every six person coming in just to see what the drinking was like but what we found of those that had a drink problem was binge drinking was like uh, I remember talking to one person who said well when I drink I'll have about 20 pints you know, and I said to him, well, that's two and a half gallons. You know, that's not that much. You know, but you don't notice, like, you know. So when I suggested he drink 20 pints of milk, he told me I was mad. You know, you couldn't do that. And it's that kind of mindset. So there, there is a culture of overindulgence. And I, I think part of this, I think, Claire, and, and I don't know what Brian thinks about it, but I think as a nation, we're emerging. We're only 90 years old. We're growing up. You know, we've had the Celtic Tiger, we've had the sweet jar and the sick belly now that we're paying for for the next while to come, you know. We've had that part. And I, I do think that younger people, and they're not being heard in this, are actually beginning to move away from the dependence on alcohol, are beginning to question their connection with alcohol and saying, hold on, you know, this doesn't suit me. And I'd often sit with youngsters and be talking to them and say, well, what was it like? And they say... I was out of it, I was blotto. You know, I thought that's what you did, but I was as sick as a dog for days afterwards, you know, and I'm not going doing that again. And they might do it again two or three. But a lot of the young people I meet are actually beginning to say, no, I don't want alcohol, I don't want drugs. I want to do something with my life. I want to be, you know, in a different way. Brian, are you hearing that? Um, I, I, I'm not really, to be honest. I think the, the young people I've met in schools, at the end of a talk, you'd get one or two who might come up to you quietly in the corner of the room and say, by the way, I, I, I don't really drink or I, I drink very little and, you know, it's kind of hard. <laughs> and, and I'm always struck by that, that they can't really in numbers come out and say amongst their peers, you know, well, you know, this isn't the kind of relationship I want. Um, I was struck another part. I remember being in Copenhagen once and uh, talking to teenagers there and they were saying they had no problem socialising or going to parties and not drinking at 15 or 16. 
Uh, and in fact, in Copenhagen, there's a very interesting programme there where parents go on, they have a huge binge drinking problem in parts of Copenhagen, but parents will go on the streets at night on a Friday and Saturday night, they'll wear coloured jackets so kids know who they are. And they're there really just to offer a kind of a helping hand, help teenagers get home, talk to them about issues in relation to alcohol. Um, and I thought it's called, I think, the Night Raven programme, funded in part by the drinks industry, it must be said. But I thought that was very interesting. I wonder how many Irish parents would be willing to go on the streets of, of, a, of the capital, any of our capital cities at, at, at on a Friday night, give up their Friday night and do something similar. I don't know, especially after what we heard from last weekend. But anyway, we're going to leave it there. Brian, thank you very much. That's Brian O'Connell there, author of Wasted and Donald Kiernan, psychotherapist. Thank you both very much indeed. Um, Brian, we had a text message in actually from John Fahey saying that Brian spoke in his school to our students and impressed them. His book, Wasted, has done the rounds of our parents. It's an excellent read and John is a retired principal. Another listener says the Waterford to Dublin train on Saturday last was full of young people who had bags and crates of beer which they consumed all the way up. They shouldn't be allowed to consume alcohol on the train. Cathy said, how can these young people afford it? Why do we put pints into visiting dignitaries' hands when they visit? Mark in Cork says cheap off-licence prices versus high pub prices have changed the way today's youth drink. They now start on vodka and cans on the streets and never progress to pubs because of the high prices. We'll take a quick break. 